if you really step back as a business case, you can see why. The demand for insights has never been higher. Um, organizations are doing more studies, more research studies, more surveys than they have ever done. There's no doubt about it, right? Um, but at the same time, you got a, a field that traditionally has been really slow to adapt to new technologies. Like someone comes to you of like, hey, I have a business problem that I'm trying to solve, or hey, I have a point that I'm trying to make, <laughs> help me support it. And then we go out and we actually go out and, and do research or, or do whatever we need to do with it um, to give them the answers that they need. The, uh, the challenge with that that I've found um, is that there's all this other stuff either that's like locked within the insights function or stuff that sits in like other spaces outside the business that never actually gets thoroughly explored and, and leveraged within the business. And so when I think about proactive research, it's like what's all that stuff that's kind of either locked within the function that we can unleash and use it to drive business value or all the stuff on the periphery that we just don't take the time or energy to package together and, and bring it to the business in a meaningful way. This is Real Talk. The Customer Insights Show with Jen Mancusi, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen to us on all major podcast channels and watch on dbtv.tv. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Popme, the leader in video research for over a decade. Here's today's conversation. I love those intro clips about, you know, uh, business impact of research. research. Research Insights has a massive impact, and I really appreciate all of last year's 2022's guests on Real Talk that discussed the topic. Um, hello, researchers, marketers, anyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm Jen Mancusi, and today I'm joined by VoxPotMe CTO and founder, uh, Andy Barakloff, as we take a look back at season two of Real Talk and see what we learned. How are you today, Andy? Very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm feeling a little uh, uh, inauthentic for a moment. I never call you Andy. AB, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I had my podcast voice on, but anyways, yeah. how are you? <laughs> Good. I'm uh, excited to be back on the show, and uh, as always, be fun to uh, fun to run through this. I'm uh, looking forward to see see what we've got with some of these uh, clips coming up. Yeah, me too. This is such a fun episode, and we did something like this last year. And um, you know, over the over the course of 2022, we talked to dozens of experts in insights, market research, customer experience, and we discussed so many important topics. And admittedly, it's hard to remember all of the trends and all of the conversations that we had after publishing, wow, 40 hours of interviews. But um, we still want to know what trends and topics were mentioned by our expert guests in season two. So how did we do it? Easy. The team took all of the interviews from all of last year's episodes and uploaded them into the Vox Pop Me platform to pull out the key themes. So let's take a look. Once we uploaded all those hours of Real Talk, we reviewed the insights, key topics, the word cloud. All of these were automatically created in the Vox Popme platform. Looking at the analysis, we saw trends and looked at what we as an industry can learn from those going forward. Let's dive in. All right. Super excited. We're going to jump into some of those topics that came out of the platform today. Um, I think there's like eight or so. So we're going to watch some clips, some of the highlights from, from last year's season and, uh, and talk through some of what we learned. So let's start with empathy. The importance of empathy continues to be a topic in the industry. And we discussed it a lot on Real Talk last year. Empathy actually translated to the work that they, their outputs and subsequently had an oversized market return. So yeah, in terms of, in terms of who does research, I think now you're seeing it, you're seeing it being done across your organization. And at the time that it's coming together and it's happening now, I mean, the, the empathy crisis, you mentioned it as a shortage. I actually talk about it as a crisis and it's needed now more than ever for us to understand how to be empathetic, um, not just as um, uh, 
professionals in the insights community, but as humans and in our day-to-day interactions, specialize in empathy and connecting empathetically with our, our our clients and their consumers, um, and really inspiring our clients through storytelling um, and using all the different tools to to tell stories that are going to inspire the marketers or whomever the the, uh, end client stakeholders are to take action based on what they're hearing from the consumers. I think the first thing for people to understand is that we are all hardwired to have empathy. They found that in 2001, there was a 40% decline in empathy and it stayed at that declined level compared to the previous decades. Um, It never got better. Step, it is... um, uh, what gets in most people's way and it constantly is coming up and it's formed from your own biases, your stereotypes, your past experiences. Um, and you've got to be mindful of it. If you are judging someone, I talk about it as um, being judgmental, casting aspersion. When you're doing that, you're not, you, you, you're never going to see them. It's like a brick wall um, you, that you've built in front of between you and the person you're trying to have empathy with. I believe that video as a a way that people communicate to us is going to solve a lot of problems. It's going to help build empathy across brands to their constituents. This is where we are today. And empathy is a core component for all of the decision making that's happening in brands and, you know, companies around the world and being able to scale that, you know, Every person in the company can't be having one-on-one conversations with customers all day, every day, right? Customer experience programs tend to use empathy in their practice. And as such, they tend to create alignment across stakeholders. It's much easier to tell somebody internally that you don't believe what they're saying um, or you don't believe the data, but having your people within your organization hear consumers, their voices, see their expressions, their emotions. It really, it, that connectivity, that empathy is, um, is, is huge and, and is, can't put a price tag on it. Rational benefits are, are really all about what the consumer gets from this product or experience. But the emotional benefit is really what they're gonna feel. So if possible, try to layer in any emotional benefits that you have for this, because it really helps create some empathy with the consumer and again, draws them in more. I think, you know, insights at the crux of it, it's about empathy, seeking out diversity of, of thinking and cultures and background and that kind of thing is the, the way to do that. But the, you need to be choosing to be curious in that space. I mean... There's a lot of different angles here that we covered. It's not just, uh, you know, empathy for consumers, though that is a big part of it. But, you know, there's there's a lot of different areas that we, like, tackled empathy on the show um, this past year of where, you know, I mean, starting with the king of empathy, in my opinion, Rob Volpe, and talking about the empathy crisis, I mean, it's really having an impact in a lot of different areas. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. As you said, it's it's amazing the, um, the the amount that came through just in that short clip, right, with the different views, um, and and kind of awesome to pull that together. But yeah, I thought there were yeah the decline in empathy that you know was a, a really interesting point. Um, and for me, it's 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 really interesting to see how I feel like there's been a you know a real change in um, people being more conscious about how they're being empathetic. Um, you know, and seeing that, you know, kind of off the back of, you know, a lot that was going on in the world in general, a lot off the back of COVID and other things as well, changing our work patterns. And suddenly it seems to be more of a focus for, um, you know, for, for a lot of us in our day to day, our relationships we have outside of work and inside of work as well. Um, and I know, I know that's something that's kind of core within within our business, uh, and but uh, but I definitely see that in conversations that go on elsewhere as well. And I think bringing that into um, you know insights and research, it, it is so key to you know be able to un- unlock so much. Um, and a couple of those other clips there, you you know you kind of heard uh, Jamin talking about you know that unlock through democratizing insights, and we heard that in the the clip at the start as well. And how do you how do you pull that from something that may have been focused within an insights department previously into the rest of the business and build that empathy of customers and scale that out across the business to make better decisions um, and helping that again, the, the kind of diversity of thinking, that was a great point there as well around um, 
how do you how do you do that and and by socializing this you know the 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 customers in their own voice really helps that and then allows others from the from the business to to you know tackle those problems and come up with solutions and things so yeah and that really requires empathy and collaboration with the teams across the business and i think to your point like you know, there's a lot of a big focus on or maybe, you know, just a lot more attention being paid to empathy, both in business and outside. And I think some of that comes from like, you know, maybe there was this personal need for more empathy and and connection with people through everything that the world has been through the last three years. But all of a sudden, people were like, wait a second, there is business impact, there is benefit, like, professionally for doing this right. And actually, you know, I loved what Brian was talking about, about like understanding the rational benefits for consumers of whatever it is you're trying to understand and the emotional benefits. I mean, that's how people make decisions and that's how people buy. And so that empathy for each other internally to be able to collaborate and then having empathy for the whatever audience you're serving, like really does have a big impact on the performance of the business yeah and being being able to communicate with with others internally to help kind of you know push forward your ideas and 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 you know like that is huge and and by doing that we we automatically come up with you know we see it all the time like as if you've if you've shown those videos to people they refer back to them and they you know it it supports other things and they kind of constantly thinking about you know how the, the customer within their business and how they might react and what they might be feeling um yeah uh, some some yeah awesome clips and that I enjoyed that one yeah yeah that was a good one um all right let's uh let's let's see what what we have coming up next so certainly um everything we do and talk about relates to understanding our customers that's really the theme of the show but um let's take a look at some of the highlights that got our guests talking we are more senior in our roles, the more time we spend with customers, the more we believe we know. Knowing is the enemy of discovering. A beginner's mind says, in each conversation, in each survey response, I will forget everything I know based on my experience. So what I hear right here right now is fresh and first, and therefore can shape me. It has to start at that sort of bigger picture. If we don't understand the bigger um, sort of environment or the context in which things are happening, then, you know, going straight into the details of things, we're maybe not asking the right questions or putting it in the right kind of context. We all know that response rates are declining. Uh, I, I think what it shows is that organizations don't really understand their customers. Um, and when we when we've looked at a customer experience and we look at customers and, you know, let, let me be clear, responding to a survey is part of a customer experience. OK, it shows the world and your customers what you think is important to you. OK, um, and it sort of to a certain extent, it, it also gives you clues as to even the culture of the organization and, and and what they see as important. Um, and therefore, I think the issue for me becomes this, that, that really organizations don't really understand their customers well enough and at a deep enough level. Even when they get the information back, I'm not sure that people look at that information in the right way through the lens of behavioral science. So understanding really what the customer is saying rather than you know looking looking at the, the subtext if you like of that or the customer's responses rather than just saying oh we've surveyed our customers did they like this product did they like that product did they like that product they like product b so let's sell them product b you know i'm afraid life isn't as simple as that's one of the things we're trying to bridge into now is also incorporating some analytics into some of those consumer research, more consumer research focused projects as well. So we try to help um, our students kind of understand that all of these things are different tools in a tool shed, and we want them to be able to apply the right ones to the right project. The panelists said, oh, that's because, um, you know, the survey was too long, the survey was too repetitive, I got tired of it. So I think that's one side um, of the story. but. I can't help 
but to ask like, but why? Why did it feel repetitive, right? Why did it feel long? And we've done a bit of analysis, um, I guess, on past data, uh, just to see if we could beyond saying like, oh, the survey was too long. Like, can we really understand why they dropped off? So we looked at two studies. One was a um, video game study with people who play a specific video game. And what we found is that the people that dropped off from that study were less likely to play the game. So obviously they were less engaged with the topic. Then the second study we looked at was consumer electronic uh, purchase, people that had just purchased like a PC. And the people that dropped off from the study were people that had purchased for someone else and had joint decision making, but we were not the sole decision maker. So what this tells me is that the people who, who dropped off were also less engaged with the topic. So, I mean, sample size of two, but you know, that's what we have. But I think like, why is it repetitive and why is it long? It's because people are not as engaged with the topic. And I think when, um, like we just, we talk a lot about survey engagement. We don't talk a lot about targeting. I think like targeting is super important. It all starts with understanding like who is our ideal user? Who uh, gets the most value from our specific product? Um, get crystal clear on that specific person. Um, what it, who is it? What do they look like? Uh, what are some of the typical characteristics of that person and that companies potentially they work for? Um, so get like crystal clear on that part. And then the second part is like really just work on your brand's uh, promise. If you don't have a good understanding of like, okay, what are the steps someone will need to take within your product to see value as well as like which where's the drop off between them and actually upgrading and having that on like some sort of dashboard where you can see like okay this is the general like flow of the business um that's like step one <laughs> in all this because it's going to direct your energy of like oh actually if we focused here um this is where majority of people are getting stuck you do really need to talk to people um at that early stage especially to understand like what are those key um, problems pain points that we can really help people like are we truly solving a problem um or not the reason we are centralized so that we can talk uh with each other so we're not duplicating efforts we're understanding other businesses we're understanding how the data works because in the end we're all kind of working from the same data lake, you know, it's all there. So uh, we should, we're just, we're just looking at it and accessing a different one. There's a lot here again. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I think what comes through for me a lot where with the, um, you know, just thinking about uh, the best way to understand customers is actually there's a lot of conversation that came up around making sure we're providing a good experience for the people that we're trying to understand, that we're not going to get what we need. We're not going to properly understand the people we care about if we're asking the wrong questions in the wrong way at the wrong time, you know, in the wrong environment and, or maybe not incentivizing. Like this has actually been a topic I've been hearing quite a bit in throughout the industry is like, how are we treating our people? Um, and that seems to be like, that was the theme that sort of was highlighted for me in those clips. Yeah, I think yeah. that was really interesting for me as well. I think the the idea of um, the way you communicate with the customer reflecting on your business as well was a really interesting point um, because it shows what you care about. And often um, we focus on the things we care about in our business more than we should <laughs> for the let you know and, and kind of asking questions about you know what people think about certain aspects that are important for us to measure but don't actually really hold that same value for the customer and i think that draws into how it's easy for us to kind of build on things and make the wrong assumptions um and then start building our surveys or our questions that we ask around those wrong assumptions because we haven't understood um, yeah. And I think, yeah, we, you know, heard that in, in different ways. And I think that's the way, like what came across for me in those clips is like, there's lots of different ways to try and get that customer understanding and, and kind of um, going through that in different, like un understanding the customer to then drive what your, you know, customer experience questions might be in a survey, but then understand how they're being interacted with and who and where and how you might change that. Mm -hmm. Not always using the same, I guess, methodology to 
get that understanding, but doing it from a few different perspectives. Um, totally. And that, you know, that's, and, and you know, um, we heard Wes Bush talk about kind of getting really crystal clear on that customer understanding and then being able to go from there to, you know, um, think about that brand promise. Um, that, yeah, that that's hard to do if you're just taking one angle, I think. And that's why it's, you know, when we look at insights and research, like how we go about utilizing those methodologies, we have to do that in multiple different ways in the same way as getting the actual end bit of understanding of the, um, the, the problem we're trying to solve or what the solution might be like going through that in the same way with our customers, not just kind of jumping straight in. Totally. And what you just said about, you know, sort of like what we care about versus what the customers care about, like that was almost, I think that tied it together for me for what Rebecca Brooks was talking about of like asking too detailed of questions in your surveys when you don't actually have the understanding of the customer yet. Um, I've had that experience myself where I've taken a survey for whatever and I'm like, this is very clear that you only care about these aspects that you care about and you don't, you're not actually looking to understand my, my, my experience because you haven't given me a platform to share my frustration or where I was satisfied. Cause you're asking me about this very specific thing. Um, it does kind of, it gives that, that's my experience with that brand now is that all they care about is this feature or this whatever, and not really me as a customer or my whole experience. Um, because it, you know, they're asking the wrong questions. They're not ready yet to ask me that question because they don't understand me more broadly. Yeah, and a lot of time it ties back to yeah, some KPI or some metric that is a business measure of how well we're succeeding, or ties back to people's compensation or whatever it might be. And that's the wrong way to do it when we're trying to, you know, we're trying to really kind of gain the insights we need. And as you said, like really getting to that understanding, like how how do we combine these things? you know, and in, in multiple different ways is, is really key for that. Because if, you know, if you'd had other opportunities or, you know, other ways of communicating with that brand, if there's only kind of one avenue to ever do that or one way of that coming up, then, you know, that will be, I think a lot of times we see it as well with that repetitiveness from like how a brand interacts with you in the same way of like, I constantly get this same email every time I purchase a product that's just exactly the same stuff every time. And I'm like, use this service week in week out and it's like there's other ways of in, you know I should be able to interact with them yeah. yeah it's like choosing when you need that sort of like that trend data or that ongoing data versus like that conversation or something a little bit more broad um, and I think that the point you just made about like you know it being tied to compensation or you know KPIs in the in companies like that is an area that i think is a huge challenge across the board for insights and more specifically for for CX teams like how do you get your employees to care about those metrics without like skewing them right you know mm -hmm. all the experiences we've all had of like people asking you to give them five stars for this review and you know if I had somebody uh, after a furniture delivery tell me if I if if you give me a four four stars I won't I won't work tomorrow. They'll take me off the schedule, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> that seems the wrong way to get the you know get the data you need. But you know I, I I recognize the challenge that's there of like you want your employees and your frontline people to care about the customer and about the experience. But how do you do that in a way that is authentic that that creates you know. Um, yeah, an authentic experience. That's a big challenge. Yeah. And I think as well, it's like there's so much, like a lot of bigger businesses have so much of this data, like the ability to, you know, sample other types of research to those, like it's not going to impact the trends and the numbers that much, but having other ways of getting some other deeper insights, maybe in one particular area or, you know, um, you know, dig into a, a, a specific topic with a cohort and then get that alongside those other trends that helps you to get to that deeper level. Cause a lot of times you're not, you're not getting there. And if you've got vast numbers of data coming through, like you, you're not going to impact it drastically if you're taking, you know, 5% over here to then be able to sample in a different way and do and understand how you might find other ways of interacting with those customers, you know, that, that gives you more insights anyway and starts to, to leverage that. So, yeah. Totally. And with all the data the companies have, like, you should be able to, to predict some of how people would respond to those same answers over and over based on what you know, provides a good experience. I mean, we've been talking about that for 
a couple of years, probably, (laughs) you know, you don't don't have to ask me if I had a good experience. If, you know, the delivery was, was three days late, right. You probably already know it wasn't the best experience. Um, So, you know, not, not bogging your consumers down or your customers down with stuff you, you already know the answer to and actually leveraging that opportunity to say, Hey, what could we, what are some ways we could have improved that experience? We know this wasn't the best experience we've ever delivered. So let's, let's take the opportunity to ask something that's going to actually impact change instead of just answering a question we already know the answer to. Yeah. And I think we've, and we've talked about this, you know, a a lot as well around like, how do you, how do you allow the, the, the customer to give the feedback in the way that they want to? And so, you know, just asking more open, like, we're afraid at times because within these big programs, we need these trend data and we need, yeah, just to ask the open end, whether that be ideally through video, but you know, just open end methods, but like asking how your experience, what you're going to talk about, what matter to you in that particular time. And so, you know, getting the same survey multiple times or when that outreach is like, there's, there's ways to do that to, to, so people feel like they're being listened to, feel like they're being heard. And, we're at a stage now where we have technology and to allow us to understand this data that's unstructured at scale that we haven't been able to before. So let's leverage that. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's see what we got next. What's next on our topics. Um, so to understand customers, we've got to validate ideas, a lot of like innovation conversations and, and new, new innovations, new products coming out. So, um, Let's see what our guests had to say about uh, some good ways to validate those new ideas. People using their phones as flashlights or having headlamps. And so, you know, we put a light in the grill and that just enables people to cook. So, you know, and in the Timberline development and and a lot of things I do, I kind of use a qual quant qual approach. And it just helps because you can kind of cast a wide net, look for unmet needs. You validate with quant, and then you go back to consumers to make sure you're onto something. Observe, and then you can take that to your product team or to whoever, and and they can kind of iterate from there, right? You're you're giving them something to work with that you've observed or, or found, um, and then obviously you'd want to validate whatever ideas they come up with in a quantitative setting to see if there's interest and people would buy whatever you'd want, and then you should show it to them, you know, at the end and qual work and make sure your concept uh, makes sense. So making sure there's people on staff that are dedicated to fraud, dedicated to quality, and making sure that all those mitigation um, tactics are employed. And really, it's a, a balance between both technological strategies like digital fingerprinting, mobile verification, third-party validation on address, things like that. Um, but there's also methodological strategies that you can employ both pre, during, and post-survey to really, again, scrutinize. So looking for things like speeding and gibberish, looking at open-end responses and evaluating them through, you know, AI or NLP project, projects that are products that might exist out there to really scrutinize the quality of responses. We should solve customer problems, but it's actually a lot harder in practice. Mm-hmm. Our brains are wired to think in solutions. Solutions are really tangible. It's We're not that great at abstract thinking, right? So when we talk about like, oh, well, this customer has this problem that we should solve, that's really hard to think about in the abstract. And so we wanna jump to a solution. The challenge is if we have multiple people working on that solution, which we almost always do, they're all interpreting that problem slightly differently, which means we're all going to disagree on what the solution might be. And so there is this work that has to be done to truly understand what is it that this customer needs. It means you might go in in sort of oblique questioning angles and triangulate what the jobs are and then try to validate that with the, the customer. Um, but really try to get at the world as they see it and not in the convenient ways that you see it. Uh, so that might mean saying, well, you know, what's, what was important to you today? Uh, what were your real priorities? What made it a good day or, or a bad day? Mm. Oh, I love these cliffs. This topic is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I love how, you know, what, Certainly what was highlighted here and what I heard from people throughout the year on this topic is really to stop, like, stop starting with the solution 
right? Live in, marinate in the problem for a little bit. I love how Teresa Torres talked about like, like how uncomfortable it is to be in that abstract thinking, but how important it is, um, like the validating ideas and validating new innovations. Like it doesn't start with the idea. It starts with solving a problem. Yeah. 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 Really, really, yeah, really setting yourself in that problem space for a lot longer, as you said, is, is key. And I think at times it's, it's a really, uh, it's, it's a really strange thing. Cause a lot of times we think if we get to the solution quicker, we'll get to the output quicker. We'll get to the, you know, whatever we're trying to achieve quicker, whether that be through more customers, better experience, revenue, whatever it might be. And so we rush to that quickly. And it's also the thing is, you know, Teresa Torres said it's, it's, it naturally, we want to, we want to get to that solution. Right. And we, we, we feel a bit more comfortable getting there. Um, and so what we don't do is really dig in and really understand actually what it is and what that experience is. And, you know, the more we can do at that stage, the better. Um, but it doesn't mean we have to like, not make any progress for a long time and i think the pressure that teams have to move it's like there's there's some of these feel like it's going to hold us up and and what we can do is we can start to take those things that we understand like test around that and keep moving with it and that that iterative approach allows us to do it um and you hear me talk about this with our teams internally all the time but i always talk about the teams of when we're doing something new let's get from zero to six out of ten let's not get to ten out of ten let's not strive for that that first bit is gonna we can get there quickly that's the area that we can start moving towards and then go in again and understand more and and and, and iterate on on the different ideas we have and do that from an iteration of like have we solved like have we looked at the problem in the right way have we had made the right assumptions have we tested those assumptions correctly um you know and then are we on the right line with the solution um and and every every one of those stages we find out something new but the pressure that we get externally and internally from the business and everything else to you know hit our goals reach our targets and everything else it, it feels um it, it feels difficult to take that extra moment to do it and and yeah. that time up front gets us to a better solution much quicker and what happens is when we jump to those solutions and we don't iterate through it, we put something out there that is nowhere near and we miss the mark massively. And I think it's like, and I, for me, it's that, um, you know, like what what's the risk in what we're doing? How do we, you know, getting something out there that's wrong? Like a lot of times we're going to get these decisions wrong and we're going to hit on a few things that are right that will set us in the right directions. So how do we get to that point a lot quicker? to then set us to the to level up and level up as we go along. For sure. And I think those agile approaches, like more iterative, like they've kind of existed maybe for a while on the tech side or, you know, kind of in the in the software world for sure. But we're seeing this emerge in consumer products and, and products that are going on shelves. And I uh, we should have put a clip of Nick Uman in there unless maybe she was the year before. Maybe I'm I'm time is escaping me but you know she from mars talks a lot about like doing the same kind of thing you're talking about of getting to six instead of ten but from a consumer product perspective and instead of having these 18 month 24 month timelines to get the perfect product on the shelf you know they're getting products on the shelf in six months and validating it in market as opposed to you know like you can ask people all the time would you buy this and they will say, sure, yeah, that looks great. That sounds great. I would totally buy it. And then they don't buy it. So actually, and same with like the work that we do, they say they'll use that feature or whatever it looks good or it sounds good or it feels good. It's going to solve my problem. But actually validating that in, in market um, is so important. And uh, so I think, um, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, I loved the conversation with Jason Allager about um, Traeger grills and how they came up with, you know, their latest version of this grill that um, got um, released, like had some features that were just wildly different from 
the what you see in the market for grills and the way that they got there of just this open observation to identify the problems. They didn't ask people what problem they were trying to solve. They didn't ask them what features they wanted. They just observed, like, let us identify where we see a problem. Like, I think consumers weren't even identifying these areas as problems. And once you solve them, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I had that problem. So I feel like that ties very closely to what we talked about um, in that last segment about, you know, just like, don't ask that very specific detailed question to get to what you think you're trying to get to. But actually that more broad observation can uncover that white space that maybe nobody knew existed, which I think is really exciting. Yeah. And that's, and, and I think that's the, I think a lot of times as well, we, we look at um, the iterative approach as like an iteration on the thing we're producing as opposed to an iteration in the way we even do our discovery. Like even mm. with that, like we yeah. might not get into what, like that understanding deeper, like we need to iterate through that because we have one conversation, we have another, and that kind of, we heard that, you know, qual quant, qual methods and tying these things together, that gets you to that level of discovery to make sure that you're on the right lines and each one of those stages will, so even that, like we're making good progress and moving forward. And, you know, a lot of times we think about iterating on, I've produced X, I'm gonna learn something else and then produce Y and not the iteration in the middle stages that actually, you know, informs all of those decisions for what we're producing on the back of it as well. So I think sometimes it's just, yeah, taking that broader, broader look for sure. For sure. And the last thing I'll say on it, just like the, you know, the Teresa Torres continuous discovery. I know we've learned so much from those approaches and I see like the benefit of that with other companies kind of doing the same thing. But I was with some people this week and somebody said to me, you know, sort of in jest, like, you know, how many decisions do you make every day that, you know, aren't based on research? And I'm like, literally like none, because if you're in this state of continuous discovery and constantly like you're all you just always have the customer in mind with all the decisions that you're making and it's like what should we do with this well we're going to do it this way because of that conversation we had last week it doesn't mean that we're running a research study or a project or a survey for every decisions that that we make but it's just this broader, again, I mean, connecting to the empathy, broader understanding of what people need and what problems are trying to solve, like makes us like helps us make smarter decisions every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, I think those previous top and empathy into customer understanding into iterating on on those, you know, really tied together, you know, yeah. nicely. And it's, yeah, completely agree with that. And it's, I think a lot of times people feel like it's difficult to be able to get the feedback because they oftentimes we feel like we have to do research in a specific way. We have to get to a certain, you know, I've got to get, um, you know, statistical significance or I need to get to something that's like, I can't just have one-off conversations. Like, and, you know, Teresa Torres talks about that as well. Of like, you know, you, you can just get to those insights and that understanding to help you make decisions to get to that next, next stage. Um, and so, you know, we can talk to our customers or people also who have those same problems in other ways and, and not kind of tie ourselves down and to do things in exactly the same way every time with that, with that research. So. Totally, totally. All right. Well, let's talk about iteration and, you know, agility, um, validating and understanding uh, consumers' ideas. We need to be able to pivot, right? So that iterative process is so important. Um, I imagine we're gonna we're gonna have an appearance from our friend Nick. I might have I might have jumped the gun on her, but uh, let's take a look at what our experts had to say. We start with personas to get down to a personalized experience, and we do that. And and we think personalization is the end, but as we know. It's inherent in the CX human-centered design process to be iterative. This is um, a rewiring of shoppers' brains that's happening, and we don't quite know what the end result of that is going to be. Um, we're in the middle of that process. So, yes, brands have gotten much better at innovating quickly, getting products onto the shelves, iterating and refining and evolving, and doing all of that in real time with customers. Um, and the pressure on them, right, to become profitable right away. Things are changing all the time, and that iteration is really critical. Right. 
You know, think about what happened, you know, with the pandemic, right? At the beginning, mm. you know, all the stores shut down. Right. It, you know, basically you're shutting down the the customer journey now. Like when that happens, then what? no research is going to help you right there because that is what, that was your foundation, right? right. So you always need to be agile. Just, mm. I go back to foresight and agile. And in agility to respond, not to react, but to respond to what the consumer needs are now. And that is when it comes to the type of research that we do. And that research has to be a combination of agility and it has to be frequent and basically just DIY, right? And sometimes it's just guiding the um, a small decision you gotta give this to people um, mm -hmm. throughout the organization to make their own decisions. One of the biggest changes for us um, in um, the growth strategy that we have for this pipeline that we're building is we call it a slow and controlled skate ramp approach. So instead of launching this out into the world and putting millions of dollars behind it in media, it is a slow and modular scale that enables you to continue to learn. And, you know, we, we design an MVP with a target consumer in mind, but we have, you know, the next layers as well we're growing this proposition that we know we want this innovation to be relevant for. So as we scale up, we need to continue to be flexible to learn and optimise. What is very tempting for our, for our business leaders is to say, oh, my God, we love this. So how can you make it twice as big and do it twice <laughs> as quickly? And that's absolutely the wrong question to be asking our teams because part of what we want to do is grow in this controlled and modular way that allows us to continue to have the flexibility to design the right value in. And so when we talk about a target consumer, we've, we've done some really great work um, with some great business partners that we have um, at BMI. We talk about what is this consumer problem that we have, who is the target consumer that has this problem? And that's what are the pains and the gains and the jobs to be done as we think about developing a solution for this consumer and how might that change as, as we scale up um, this solution? And you should shift into more iteration and then validation. Um, but the best thing you can do is just get into the real world. So as quickly as we can, we try and get into the real world and have our experiments run in the real world where consumers are buying us um, and telling us what they think. As we get further through the process, we, we ask the right questions based on the level of confidence we have and what we need to learn. And so they can be very different questions, but generally what we find is our sample sizes increase and, and we, we shift into a mode that feels a little bit more like iterating and, and validating. And then we get into much more holistic testing. Five minute fixes introduce constraints. And when you create constraints, it puts you in the mindset of start where, where you are and work with what you have. We have some well-developed muscles and we tend to default to what we do well when sometimes what we need to do is strengthen the underutilized part of the organization. Mm -hmm. And so that five minute fix introduces a constraint that says, I know you know how to build a long-term plan with a mm -hmm. lot of parts that's complex. If I constrain your ability to use that, it can't take a year, it can't take a million dollars, it forces you to build an underutilized muscle through the constraint that says, what could you do with less? How could you start with where you are and work with what you have? The genius question, when posed to your customers, invites a journey of iteration that says, how could we make this easier? How could we make progress five minutes at a time? What's the frosting we could take away from the sides of our cake, proverbially speaking? Right. When Christina Tosi challenged the notion of the birthday cake and the wedding cake, she challenged something that shows up in business, which is nostalgia. We call it 
the way we've always done things. How could we make it easier together question to our customers? Do you know what you would surface? Lots of small iterative steps we could take together that when done consistently over time do make it easier. They also build trust and momentum which means listening to customers doesn't become a big momentous event that happens once or twice a year that we go away and analyze and produce reports, at which point customers forgot what they said and they've moved on to a different problem and now we have to start again. We might have just talked about this. <laughs> but we, we, we delved into this a little, but I think there's some, yeah, there's some more great, great areas there that, 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 that go even deeper into that topic. So. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I, think, uh, I mean, it's a good segue, right? Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, you, you hear there that, you know, that, that continued small change, um, you know, but, and, and that, that build and learn, um, you know, and, and I think that really helps us drive that innovation so much quicker. I, you know, the, the, in, in that final clip kind of talking about what those constraints sometimes are, help us to think about things in a different way rather than, you know, taking lots of time to do things. Um, yeah, kind of, uh, it's one of the approaches we have from a development point of view. And it's like it, it time you've either got, you can put some time constraints in, or you can put some scope constraints in, but like you, you've got to get to something and it helps you make those priorities on like, is this the really, does this really give us what we need in order to like validate the next stage? And, and so it allows you to kind of prioritize what those things are and, and, and the, the bit I liked, um, I think Nick spoke about it was um, talking about how you get to a level of confidence. And I think that's one of the things that we don't utilize enough a lot of times is like communicating the confidence we have in something. And that is across, you know, I think that's across businesses in general. And, and when we're communicating with other teams, um, when we communicate like the direction we're going, the solution we have, where we're going to, sometimes we do that because we've got to a certain point and a certain level of confidence, but we don't communicate what that level of confidence is. And I think that's one of the things that we underutilize as, as, as teams. And if we say, you know, this is something we need still need to learn from the approach that everyone has and what they bring to the table and how they come up with solutions or ideas will differ. Um, whereas if you tell a team, Hey, we're doing X and they're like, all right, well, the powers that be have told me that they're doing that and they know best. So we're just going to go down that route. They don't necessarily come in and provide everything we get from, you know, great, diverse, forward thinking teams. And and so that bit really struck me because I, I feel like that's, that's an area that I think, um, you know, we don't communicate alongside the findings that we have at the stages we're at. And, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, like, it's like, you measure it differently that you measure the success differently, right? Like you were saying, you yeah. look at it differently from a, you know, the approach, but also like the success of it. If you say, I, I got 50, I'm 50, 50 on this one. This is an experiment. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Then you're going to look at different metrics and different, you know, ways of, of determining whether it's working and whether you keep it going or evolve it. Then if you said, this is live. It's, you know, the new thing it's, it's out and it's, it's here and it's done. It's a hundred percent. Like that's going to have a different level of scrutiny on the, on the success metrics. And so I think that that communication piece is, is really important. Another thing Nick said that, that I really liked is this slow and controlled scale that when you do have something that you're only for 50% confident in it, like nobody's saying, take something that's not ready and put it out to, to the world and cross your fingers, right? It's, it's, we're saying that things need to be validated in, in a certain context and improved along the way. Um, so I think that slow and control, like it feels like, hey, we're going a lot faster, but it's almost like slow down to speed up kind of thing like that, that yeah. sort of approach is really important and i think it's that it's that slow and controlled scale is that scales the important bit because you can you don't yeah. need to as you said you don't need to go out to a full market um i think you know right. nick talks about getting into the real world and making sure i think that's one of the things that you know we often don't do enough of but but the way we roll that out and the you know you don't have to give every everyone everything at, at the same time and and you know that's traditionally what we've done we've worked to an endpoint and then we've gone hey here you go this is the new thing yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's um, that slow and controlled scale is really important to help us 
be able to pull things back or go a different direction without having major and keep that speed of iteration going yeah. as well. Um, totally. I love this episode because it's getting me like remembering some of the conversations that I had forgotten about. And I loved Karen Manja's five minute fix. I'm going to use that today. I have a I have a spot for it in my mind. So I'm taking that with me. Um, and, you know, uh, Jorge touched on this too in the, the conversation about agility and being more iterative and um, being able to make those changes quickly that sometimes that means that research is DIY. Um, and I think that, that that word DIY is still a little bit of a bad word sometimes, but it doesn't have to be. And that was a topic that came up quite a bit. So let's take a look. you say DIY and, and people sometimes get nervous. Um, <laughs> I think back in the day, at least from my experience, DIY was definitely that scary phrase. Um, you just automatically assumed this is going to take a ton of my time. Um, and it's so different now. I think back to when I first started my career in research and the six to eight week, week project was pretty standard, um, but that's not the norm anymore. Um, so I think, you know, having products out there that are DIY that you can do yourself, not have to wait for someone else to produce that, it goes a long way. Um, and then obviously limited budget, you know, teams that are, are um, having to cut costs, uh, I think those are the ones that are going to benefit really from, from DIY because, you know, you, once you realize there are platforms out there that can do this work for you for much lower costs, it's going to go, it's going to take your, your dollars much further. So. I am fine giving this information and the power to do research to people across the organization. Now, because we have tools, we have a lot of DIY tools. For instance, you know, when it comes to doing some qualitative video calls to understand why an idea is maybe a good idea or one is how it needs to be optimized. Why do we need to be there when we're doing, a, you know, a, a um, idea screener? When we're actually doing name testing, why do we need to be there? So we need to actually use that time to focus on connecting people, mm. right? Uh, to do other research that is more foundational. So those are the tools that we need to use to share. I mean, I think this kind of takes us a little bit full circle in talking about, you know, the democratization of research. And we, we talked about empathy, this in the context of empathy in the beginning of like sharing, collaborating, understanding each other's needs. And, you know, now this like tech enabled insights industry that we're in allows us to, you know, save save some time on our own work and not get stuff done in six to eight weeks like Brian was talking about, but also help to share and, you know, get more people thinking about the consumer. And um, I know that even that's a scary topic with everybody has a little bit of different feeling about it sometimes, but um, it does allow us to, you know, put some controls around what people can do, but get people closer to the consumer or the customer, which is really, um, you know, the, that, that's the goal, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. that's, I think we've we've got to make sure we're utilizing things in in the right ways. But we've, as you said, like using our time wisely. I mean, let's let's make sure we're spending the time on the right things, the things that are going to push forward where we need to progress as individuals, as businesses, um, to to that next stage. And and so there's a lot out there that can help us and and support us on that. And that kind of tech enablement allows us to to get to those levels a lot quicker, um, you know, and yeah, I think the, the big one is it, it often puts, you know, frameworks or structures in place for, for allowing more people to access that information and whether that's to create that research or whether it's to consume that research and, and have those tools more collaborative and shared within the organization. Um, it allows us to scale that out across the organization a, a, a lot more. And, and so again, directly ties back into that first point of empathy and sharing that information and allowing others to, to kind of feed back into, into how we're progressing as businesses. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing too, is it, you know, just allows people to 
you know, spend time on the things that matter a little bit more that are, you know, require a little bit more thought and, you know, um, uh, brain power versus, you know, I think we saw this a lot of, uh, certainly with, with our customers, with the, uh, some transition from, you know, maybe a more supported model to a more DIY model. Um, you know, I don't know that model's the right word approach, right. Is like, it takes just as much time to create your brief and do the back and forth and get somebody to run something for you, probably more time. And again, I guess Brian sort of touched on this versus, you know, I know me, like, I, I just want to get in there and do it with pretty much everything, <laughs> not just surveys or research, but like, just get me in there. I'll do it myself. That's going to save me time. And I'm going to, you know, be have a little bit more control over it and free up more time for me to be thinking strategically or turning those insights into a story or cr making a decision based on what I've learned versus spending all the time executing or running something. And I think that the DIY nature really does help speed that up. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it often, I think the um, people, there's that reluctance for, for some DIY tools and there's, there's limitations within them, right? Cause you don't have the ability to do everything in every way that you might want to, but that's, I think it's becoming comfortable with that. And so, if this is going to save you time elsewhere or you can delegate it to someone else. So you, as you said, it's like, where are you spending your time as an individual that really progresses what you're trying to achieve? And we talk about this, you know, I often talk about this with the product and engineering team as well. It's like, we need to spend our, our time on like what differentiates us as a product and us as a business. And that's where we focus our time. If there's ways to get us to, you know, to something else quicker that allows us to spend our time there, then, then let's, let's do that. And that's what these tools do. As you said, like it's, it's interpreting those things into that customer understanding. It's that ability to then turn that into something that's going to, you know, give you some great opportunities and some ideations for some new solutions and move those things forward. As opposed to, as you said, the time it's taken us to do, you know, um, you know, some of those tasks that can be a bit more repetitive or, or, you know, take more time to get to, but it's, uh, you know, and it's, it's a transition though. And it's, but it's being able to become comfortable with that. And it's, um, you know, a, certain aspects of this haven't been available in the past for us to be able to do and all of a sudden now are and 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 so it's um it's sometimes hard to make that leap for sure i think it's also connected to the choice thing right like we're not talking about like nobody out there is just doing like you know super fast diy stuff all the time right that's one element, one part of an ent entire program, it goes back to the conversation about, you know, asking people the right questions in the right methodology at the right time, like this is a mix. It's a mix of approaches. And sometimes you've got a big segmentation that you're doing that requires a level of expertise that you don't have in house, or you don't have the technology or whatever, you know, then maybe that that's not DIY. But some other things are. And so if you're at a point where you need to be doing some quick, agile, iterative, you know, one question, quick, 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 then that's something that that fits that that approach. Whereas, you know, something that you need more support from someone else with different expertise, another agency or whatever, like that makes sense too. Like this isn't none of there's so many different ways to understand people today that none of it is like good enough on its own it's just yeah. a mix of the behavioral the qual the quant it's all a mix and um getting sure making sure you have the right mix is is the the important piece well and then i guess let's wrap some i think we're, we're getting close to the end here um you know at the end of the day all of all of the stuff that we're learning, we've got to share the the insights and those research stories in a way that's going to actually drive impact and, and create change. So um, this can be accomplished with storytelling, storytelling, one of the big, one of the big topics for last year. So let's kick that one off. But um, I will uh, stand on this very firmly and stop presenting the methodology uh, at the beginning of, a, of any data presentation, whether mm -hmm. that's the uh, qualitative methodology or survey data, and that, that's from a supplier side to a client side, no matter who's presenting. I am sort of amazed and confounded by this industry that it decided we had to defend ourselves at the beginning of every presentation by saying, well, this is 
the question that was asked, or this is the goal we were trying to achieve. And, and here's how we went about doing it. Um, and I'm not saying it's not important. Of course, it's important. We want to do when we want to go the right strategy. We want to have the right ethical and, and, and valid and reliable data we can. But that's our job. Um, we'll worry about that and we can answer any questions about methodology. But as soon as you put the methodology first, it opens up questions, especially people who are already suspect of what the data might tell them. This may be particular to the industry I work in uh, um, because we work with storytellers. So um, most of my life is working with you know, filmmakers or writers or journalists or um, uh, creative marketers, people who are pushing the boundaries of creativity. Um, and so when you, you can get it can be intimidating for an analyst who's living in, in spreadsheets and data um, and uh, you know, SQL files or whatever it might be, SQL queries. Um, they're going into a room of creators who maybe don't want to hear um, or aren't prepared to hear or know they're just going to sit through some boring data presentations. So they get lost in the data or they get lost in trying to put together the story. And I think um, so for me, it's just it's it's focusing on what the actual goal is and who your audience is. So I have spent most of my life trying to get data across to people who probably didn't want to be in the room with me. Um, and that's okay. Uh, they wanted to hear the information. They just wanted to didn't want to have to go through the process. Uh, they knew it was important, but they didn't want, they wanted to get to the next meeting to figure out what was going on. So it's getting out of the own, our own way of, of what is important and all the hard work that we might have done maybe took us six hours to find that answer and it may take six seconds to tell them that answer oh this like that conversation with brad dancer was so enlightening for me it actually that his comment about removing methodology from the front of every research study like it changed the way we do things here you know with our kind of weekly trends that we put out and he's exactly right you know, that's not the, that's not the good part, right? That's the, you know, you got to have that information for when people ask and when they want it, but it's about the story. What story are we telling? Um, what's new? What's, what's, why do I care? Uh, what's in it for me? Right. Um, it certainly on our team when we, uh, you know, my primary experience around it is with these weekly trend, uh, reels that we do. And what the question that we always ask is, so what? So what? Yeah. Why does anybody yeah. care about what we learned? And um, so I love that approach of like, you know, we don't have to defend our expertise here and how we did it and why we did it that way. But just so what's the so what? Right. Why, why does the person that we're sharing it with care about it? And I think thinking of it in that way is, you know, really gets people to pay attention a little bit better. Yeah. And I think that yeah, I think think like, it's a couple of things there you talked about, um, like defending uh, you know the, the the choices that you've made to get to a get something or validating the work that you've put forward because you know often mm -hmm. those things can be challenged but as you said like have the information there to back up that when you are challenged on it but don't focus on that and, and I think at times as well what that what we fall into when we kind of present in that way is we we start to talk around maybe the things that um, are important to us as a presenter, like all the work that we've done, all the ways that we went through it, everything we we're kind of proud of this this work that we've done, and we want to get that across. And that's and we're doing that from our perspective, not the perspective of the audience. Who are you presenting to, and what do they care about? And when you flip that round, that's what really. But it, it's so easy to get into that because you are you're like you're excited about that's that's oh, this is the thing that I've done all of these things and it's so exciting and a lot of times you don't have that connection with that audience because they don't they don't have the same background as you they don't look at it in the same way okay. um, I feel like we were so, trained yeah. to do that like in school or something it's like you know you're in algebra two and if you got They're came up working. with the answer without showing your work <laughs> right it was wrong yeah. right so we've been taught all yeah. our lives to show our work and maybe we don't actually need to show the work anymore we can just you know show our um uh you know show the answer get get to the thing that people care about and i think the other thing too this came up in conversation um earlier this week is like you know understanding actually and maybe it connects with empathy like what does my stakeholder that i'm sharing um this with care about what's like do i understand my internal audience as much as i un understand my you know consumers and being able to say like oh uh you know 
um, like, uh, what was I going to say, man, I lost my train of thought mid, uh, mid sentence, but, um, yeah, just understanding what, what people care about and leading with that. And, and maybe we don't have to show our work, um, every time, like we, like we were trained to, um, growing up, but, um, I think we might've lost AB. We had some technical difficulties. Um, if you're still there, AB, thanks for a great conversation. I'm, I'm, here, I'm, I'm blurred for some reason. I can't get my camera back, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I totally, and I think it's, I think those things are, you know, as you said, what we've been, what we've been so used to, um, um, presenting in that way. And, and it is so important that we just don't present the data and we, we tell that story. That's what people really, really connect with. And, you know, I think it was, I was, um, I think it was a diary of a CEO podcast that I listened to lately. And uh, I think it was a uh, Tali Sharot that was on there talking about um, how politicians tell stories about individuals as part of when they communicate something. And they do that on purpose because you connect with that person you don't connect with the information or the stats behind it. And it's, it's, you know, and it's, it's, it, it works and it, and it really gets to, it gets again, back to empathy and everything else that we talked about earlier on. Totally. And it's so, it's so much more memorable to your point. People don't remember the data. They don't remember the numbers or the stats, but they will, you know, remember the person or, you know, the, the story of that kid or that guy or that woman, whatever. Um, and that's that, if that's in the, like ingrained in the back of people's minds, then, um, you know, it helps make everybody make better decisions along the way. So right. I think oh, I'm we, got back. we got I'm you not, back. We got you back. We lasted. Well, thank you so much for having this chat. I think uh, it, it's really fun to go back and see what topics were, you know, the most relevant last year. I think a lot of this stuff we're going to be talking about for a while. No, I think so. I mean, it's yeah, um, great to kind of see that roundup of everything, and and so so much in like insight and 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 information gleamed, and there's so much we can all learn from 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 these individuals. So yeah, excited that we've uh, we get opportunity to 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 speak with everyone that's on the show and and get to learn from them ourselves, and and, and hopefully share that with everyone else as well. For sure. Yeah. Really appreciate all the great experts and all of our listeners. You know, uh, we, we had our Spotify wrapped of our, our podcast at the uh, end of the year. And one of my favorite parts, I've got it pulled up here is, um, you know, our, the personality of our listeners, um, which is described by Spotify as adventurers, venturing into the unknown, searching for fresh content and gems yet to be found. So uh, we couldn't have all that, uh, that, adventurous content without our amazing experts. So um, thanks to everybody for, for coming on the show last year, everybody for listening. Uh, we're going to be talking about all of these topics uh, as they continue to be relevant in 2023 and beyond. We'll dive into different aspects of these and other topics once a week again this year. And with that, um, I'll see you next week when I will be chatting with Jill Burnett. See you then.